We often talk about social sciences and how it relates to meteorology and climate change. Well, now there's actually a report that gives our weather enterprise a lot of guidance as to how to move on and move forward in incorporating this wonderful world of social science in our field. On this episode of Weather Hype, we're going to be breaking down this report. We're going to be talking about some of the major takeaways, some examples of social and behavioral sciences within the weather enterprise, and what it looks like for the future of social science and weather. It's Min. And it's Castle. And you're listening to Weather Hype. A podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. Stay tuned, because Weather Hype's coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five day forecast By the time they hear me I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I storm when I get gone I get gone and I don't need anyone to know better What's up? How is it going? It is going quite nicely. We finally have cool weather, so it actually ah. starts to f- it's starting to feel like fall. Um, didn't really. Did you do anything for Halloween? Did I do anything or eat anything? It sounded like you said, "Did I?" I, mean, I eat hope anything? you ate some- <laughs> I hope you ate something for Halloween. But I was wondering because thinking about fall made me think about Halloween. Now no. Halloween's already over. I know. But did you do anything? Halloween is my favorite holiday. And is it? Yes, I love yeah, I the whole the whole month of October is my favorite. Um, you get to watch Halloween movies like Halloween Town and <laughs> eat candy. Shout out. Um, oh my gosh! Wait, did I? I told you that I met the actress yes, in the you last did. Halloween Town movie, right? Yeah, I'm super jealous. <laughs> Sarah Paxton, she's the one that awkwardly replaced um, Marnie, the ho- Marnie, <laughs> in the fourth Halloween Town installment on Disney Channel. I know. That's if a- you guys follow that, the three, the who plays Marnie in the first three? Oh, don't, don't know. Hard pass. So her name, oh, something something Brown, J Brown something junior senior whatever mm. so three uh, the same actress played marnie in halloween town for three movies and all of a sudden they switched it as if like we'd be dumb enough to not realize oh like what happened i think to her? she got too old didn't she maybe at least that's what i, I mean, thought she was like 25 in like the third film so i mean i'm 25 i still look like i'm 10 but so when it was five it years work. later she would have been 30 oh i mean i when i'm 30 i will still look like i'm 10 okay <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, Hollywood can make things happen. I I'll, liked I'll it. jump into more about I that. I liked it what? so much. I liked the, the last one? Yeah, I liked the last one the best. There's so oh. much cool magic that happens. And Maybe time travel. Maybe because CG and technology get better. Exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't look so fake. Like, um, I can still see you. Uh, Anyway, sorry, guys. That was a huge tangent. But, you know, that's how we do. Um, But, yeah, I mean, other than that, what else have you been up to? um just a lot of work um work 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 lots of projects left and right um left and right left and right up and down center centered as well um (laughs) what (laughs) oh lordy day um just do you say lordy day because you say it or because i say it I don't. I, I steal everything from you, so I. I, I guess that I. <laughs> oh, say I got it. it from my aunt, who is like Vietnamese, and I don't think they say that in Vietnam. But she was like Lordy Day, and oh. I'm like, I started saying it too, and I was wondering, like, if that is that like a common? Like, I don't think colloquial so. a colloquialism. Oh. I don't even. I don't normally say it. I just kind of went for it. 
<laughs> That's cool. I, I like that. I, I like yeah. that you used it. Is it going to catch on? Is it the new fetch? I don't think so. Okay. Well, unfortunately, well, fetch never happened. Maybe it was so the that means fetch that it from like twenty years ago. Well, that's when people say, wow, that's a riot. Oh, yeah. Like, people started saying that, and I was like, who? A riot? <laughs> like Where? a mob? Where? <laughs> <laughs> they said, yeah, right? They said it at people that worked at FEMA said it. People at National Park said it, too. Mm. And I was like, but these people aren't that old. So it was like, it isn't that outdated of a phrase to use. But uh, anyway, another tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll jump into more of our personal lives later on after we talk about the main theme of the podcast today. Yeah. And that is integrating social, behavioral, and economic sciences into the meteorology and weather enterprise. And there's actually a report by the National Academy of Sciences, and that's abbreviated NAS, because we do love our acronyms. Um, they released a report that's like, what, almost 200 pages. pages long? It's 100. Totally. Oh, okay. With references and yeah append- appendices appendices mm. <laughs> um it's a pretty long report and we worked on sifting through it to give you guys a better idea of what exactly social science and meteorology what does it look like what did it, what did it look like in the past what does it look like now and what will it look like into the future and kind of diving into some of the findings that we were able to look into what kind of pieces of information did you find and what exactly is social and behavioral economic sciences So the first part that I kind of wanted to jump into and maybe taking a step back from your comment just then is who is the National Academy of Sciences? And so I thought this was important to look up because I was like, what is their authoritative take on science? And like, who are they to be like this person that kind of issues this report? And what does it mean for them to issue it? Because we didn't know who they were. I mean, I had heard of them, but I was like, I don't know who they are or like what they yeah. stand for. All I heard was there was a NOS report. And uh, NOS. to me, NOS sounds... is like a rapper. Yeah, it sounds so, so cool and like slick. NOS. Yeah. But National Academy of Sciences. So the National Academy of Sciences is a private non-profit society of distinguished scholars. So basically um, they induct scientists, every scientists, engineers, and health professionals. They volunteer their time and they induct them each year to kind of provide this unbiased take on certain scientific topics. Would you say that's a fair take on? Yeah. And they not only dive into meteorology, obviously, right? Correct. They dive into all sorts of sciences, but they were just tasked with talking about the weather and climate enterprise for our report that's relevant to our field. Correct. And so along with that report also came one on emergency alerts, um, which I didn't even know was out. That one apparently didn't get as much press as the social and behavioral sciences one. Um, So I have yet to read that. But if anyone's interested in emergency alerts, there is another long report on that as well. Yeah, actually, for my thesis, there was a really long report that was like several hundred pages long. I don't know who authored it. Yeah, I don't know who authored it, but it was a really good report. And it talked about all the alert systems and everything that we do and and the state of it and how it's going to be different moving on. But yeah, I'm glad that this report was issued because a lot of people have been talking about it. It's been circulated on social media and through emails from different committees that we're on and we recognize not everyone has access to the report or not everyone really wants to read through all of it. Right. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about it and what it means. Because, again, we talk about this all the time on our podcast. You know, what does it even look like when we're saying social science and meteorology? Is it something that you guys even understand? Not to say that our audience isn't educated, but 
a lot of times we talk about this and we take it for granted whether or not people will fully understand it if it's tangible to them. So we want to try to, I guess, even take a step back from the general topics that we do and discuss social science in general Mm -hmm. and what that means. There's so many different aspects of social science that we kind of you know, talk about briefly, but we don't really get to define what these things are and what it means for our research, what we do, and how our, you know, wonderful world of weather is impacted by all of it. Right. And so the report is titled Integrating Social and Behavioral Sciences Within the Weather Enterprise. So within this title, like you just said, there are two big pieces that we need to kind of break apart and kind of think through one being social and behavioral sciences. What does that mean? What is included in that? And the other being weather enterprise. We say weather enterprise often, but who are we talking about when we are thinking about this idea? Who is this conglomerate and who is in it and who is not in it? And so weather enterprise, who is that? So when we think about weather enterprise, we think of the network of government agencies, right? So the National Weather Service who issues, watches warnings and forecasts the weather on a government level, they're within the Department of Commerce, correct? Correct. Okay. And then we also have private sector companies. These are, um, you know, different organizations that are for profit. Is that a safe thing to say about private sector? Yeah. So it's going to be like your AccuWeather, your The Weather Channel, your uh, Wonderground, um, all those good companies that um, provide that additional weather services in more of a private kind of way. Yeah. And academic institutions. So not only do you have colleges, you know, universities that take part in research, um, learning facilities that are jointed and connected to universities, you also have like UCAR, which is the University Center for Atmospheric Research. Those agencies and organizations help out and work, you know, together with universities. So that's kind of what we mean when we say weather enterprise. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I've been thinking through this idea of what is the weather enterprise for my dissertation work. And when I was thinking through it, I also included emergency managers because I feel like they are in a way like a part of our community. They're kind of those people that are have like one foot in, one foot out. Um, and so yeah. it's kind of interesting to see this definition because there are lots of definitions of the weather enterprise. There's not like one that everyone hovers around. So it's interesting to see this one not include emergency managers, but I can see why, because they put a distinction on provides weather services to the nation. And so emergency managers do not provide weather services to the nation. They take in or they absorb like weather information and then make decisions for the nation based on that. Yes, exactly. And, you know, when we talk about the weather enterprise, there are different levels and, um, I guess, scales that we can look at as well. So, you know, federal government, large private sector organizations, but also small private sector companies, um, mom and pop startup businesses are also part of the private sector, if that's mom and pop is the right way to to describe it. I think so. (laughs) Um, But also you also have, um, you know, I guess emergency managers would fall under government agencies. But again, you're right. Emergency managers don't generate the weather most of the time. They use the weather information from their partners and um, and other facets of the weather enterprise itself. So examples of what it means when we say social, behavioral, and economic sciences research in the weather enterprise. What does that look like and what kind of um, things can the public 
observe and see and you know because we this kind of research happens all the time but do you guys even see it do people like you pick off the street do they even know what kind of research is going on or how it affects them or what it means and what it even means exactly Mm -hmm. and so they the report did a great job of listing some examples to give people a better idea of things that they might see on tv during a hurricane um hurricane coverage of a hurricane impacting a certain region you know, we've talked about this before, but an example of that would be the uh, new storm surge maps and the maps that depict the greatest threat from tropical systems. So maybe, you know, three years ago, two years ago, there really wasn't any good maps of storm surge uh, impacts for coastal areas. But recently, the National Hurricane Center has issued what we were saying were prototype products for you know, how much uh, storm surge is expected, but also a storm surge watch and warning product to give folks along the coast a better idea of how they'll be impacted by, you know, water rushing in with winds blowing off from a hurricane. So when you see those types of things on TV and it helps to inform your decision making, whether you choose to evacuate or not, you have to understand there's research going on behind that that helps to influence what you guys see there are many things going on behind the scenes that may never actually make it to the public people may never see the the research happening or the products because you know sometimes things are shown to not work out very well and we're not going to put stuff out there that won't really help people but in this situation with storm surge maps it ended up actually the research showed that people could use that information and it would be life-saving and so these products were generated and now they're being issued on a small scale and gonna they're going to be used more widely in the future. And that's the kind of example that we try to bring about and talk about when we say SBES research. Right. And so when we do that kind of research, it incorporates those social, behavioral and economic science disciplines such as anthropology, communication, demography, economics geography, political science, psychology, and even sociology. So all of these kind of disciplines together help us understand how people's knowledge, experience, perceptions, and even attitudes shape their responses to weather risks and to understand how human cognitive, emotional, and social dynamics affect the forecast process itself. You know, we hear it all the time, but forecasting the weather, we're actually pretty good at that. What is really difficult to forecast is the human brain, the human mind, and how we use that information when we give it to people. So you could say there's a forecast and we know it's going to rain tomorrow. We can give that information to people and what people choose to do with that information will vary from person to person. Whether they choose to, you know, commute at a different time to avoid the rainfall or to bring an umbrella or dress differently, you know, everyone's going to be different. And that is part of what we want to try to get into. You know, Castle talked about the psychology, sociology, um, even geography aspects of what this social behavioral sciences mean. And there's so many different things that we could look into in communication as well. Because another example of SBS research or SBES, including economics research, would be when there's a tornado warning or a flash flood warning, you get an alert on your phone. That's called a wireless emergency alert system alert and that's from the federal government and before it used to only give you a message in 90 characters so if you can imagine twitter used to have 140 now it has 280 we'll get into that later but 90 characters isn't really actually a lot of space to tell you 
what's going on and what you could do nope. to protect yourself and be safe. Thanks to social behavioral economic science research, they were able to identify that if they extended the amount of characters, each letter as a character, if they extended that to 280 total, that would actually improve the message that they could give to you on your phone and allow you to understand the threat that's happening and also give you some more guidance as to what you could potentially do to help yourself and help those around you. So the message before may have been like tornado warning, take shelter now. Right. Now it can be a little bit longer to say tornado warning, take shelter now. Um, please tune into local media for more information. That gives you something to do to turn on your TV or turn on something else that gives you further information that perhaps that text product cannot do. And so through this type of research, we were able to improve how we warn people because the goal is to save lives. Right. And it may even be to go a little bit further into what people should do. So instead of take shelter now, it's pretty generic kind of message. So it could say like take shelter in the innermost area of your home or in, it could be more specific versus just saying take shelter now. Exactly. And, you know, those are some of the past examples, but there are also current projects as well. You know, we talked about briefly on a past episode about smartphones and communicating technology and smartphone apps. So that's an area that this type of research will help to inform how we move about and move forward in using smartphones. Um, honestly, like research, like my thesis, not trying to plug right. it, but that's part of what SBES research is all about. And something cool that I read too connected vehicles so these are vehicles that yeah, i guess so are going to be you know we hear about these self-driving cars and whatnot but these connected vehicles will have crazy technology to be able to you know identify forecasts and use the forecast to perhaps i guess maneuver differently if it's raining or if it's sunny or mm -hmm. if it's snowing outside so Connected vehicles are going to have to have better weather information. And how, do the, how does that relate? You know, like technology, weather, and that crazy, crazy world. So it's there's a lot of great things that are currently happening right now. And I can't even imagine what's going to happen in the future. You know, there's so many great things already. Yeah, that connected vehicles thing was so interesting to read about because it was talking like it would potentially like throw up a rain like warning sign. And at that point, it would be the key for you to take over because you might mm -hmm. be better at driving in the rain than the the automatic the vehicle. Yeah. So it's just crazy to think like, I mean, it's cool, but it's also kind of scary that we're moving in that direction. Can we just say that I personally don't think that I could ever sit in a vehicle that, be like that no one's not driving? Yeah. yeah. Like that yeah. just doesn't seem like a great, I, I mean, I don't know. It's different from, you know, when you take like a subway train or you're taking like an air train, a lot or of like those a, times those things yeah. are running by themselves. So right. I guess I've already been riding on that. And, you know, somebody was talking about it recently with cars that drive themselves. And somebody was like, do you think airplanes will ever have a time <laughs> where they're flying themselves? <laughs> oh and I was God. like, you don't realize, but airplanes already are flying on their own. It's called autopilot. Yeah, that's true. A lot of technology, because my dad was actually with me and he works for the um, aerospace engineering sector and he was like laughing because he was like uh if you guys don't already know airplanes pretty much fly themselves right now you have pilots who are using these technologies but airplanes like land by themselves they take off pretty much by themselves there's so much technology in there that pilots just kind of have to make sure they check everything you know dot all the uh, i's and cross the t's that what people say yes yeah so <laughs> trying to, try to work on my vernacular you know <laughs> 
Anyway, I um, mean, I mean, it's directly applicable to weather too. And social yeah. and behavioral sciences are using, uh, there's like machine learning algorithms to see whether the computer can successfully forecast like certain things to reduce like the mental load that forecasters are under, especially during like high profile weather events. So if there's a lot of warnings yeah. going out, if they can use the computer to do like some of the more obvious ones and then let the forecaster be able to jump in if something changes or anything. So I know that they're experimenting with that and not only from a machine learning standpoint, but like how does this, how does the forecaster feel like as an individual about his job being kind of implemented using technology and like the like the perceptual or organizational outcomes because of that. And I mean, that's some of the points that the paper makes, but they also bring about a lot of other big takeaways that um, you found in the paper, right? Yeah, I thought um, they kind of clearly kind of come to these recommendations or conclusions based on the kind of the the overall goals of the paper. And so some of the big ones are investing in providing leadership opportunities for individuals with social and behavioral science backgrounds across not only like the government agencies, but across all sectors of the weather enterprise. And so this so, is, Oh, go ahead. Uh, investing in providing leadership opportunities. What yes. does that mean to a person who may be listening being like, yes. okay, you're going to provide a leadership opportunity. Does that mean I actually, I don't really understand what that really means. What, what sure. does that mean? So it's, Basically, when you think about uh, perhaps these individuals that have higher uh, leadership positions within the National Weather Service or within private uh, sector organizations mm -hmm. or all these other things, these individuals are purely physical science focused and their background is physical science focused. Mm -hmm. So providing individuals with social and behavioral science backgrounds the opportunity to kind of maneuver themselves into more of the strategic planning of the organization and being able to kind of tackle the mission with this perspective within the inner circle, I guess gotcha. is kind of the big way to think about it. Okay. The, Cause yeah. essentially the higher ups are mainly physical science focused. Correct. And that means that the if, mission if is higher... physical science driven. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So another big takeaway is to support and encourage students and graduate students to continue pursuing like all kinds of expertise, um, getting dynamic backgrounds in not only physical and meteorological sciences, but also social and behavioral sciences, because it gives them more of a well-rounded background that they can help kind of speak the language of different groups, which I think is always is a good skill that I've learned um, by having different expertise across several disciplines is being able mm -hmm. to walk into the National Weather Service and speak their physical science language and also be able to translate kind of the social or behavioral components that I'm trying to convey to them using their own language. Yeah. I mean, we hear it so often, too. It's kind of about being a jack of all trades like still have what you want to focus on which is the core of meteorology right but also having other ideas that help to supplement your education in meteorology because just being able to forecast is definitely not enough you need to understand 
and have a bigger perspective of how, again, that weather or the climate change or whatever affects other people. And, you know, another shout out to our undergraduate program and other programs in the country that are not strictly a meteorology program, but are maybe under a geography program. You know, that gives you a great perspective about people, demographics, you know, GIS work and different uh, populations of people around the world and how they're affected. You know, these are the type of programs that we need to see in the report is addressing that, you know, you need to have more under your belt than just strictly meteorology because you're not going to get the bigger picture. Exactly. Especially with people already starting to diversify like their backgrounds when you're on, when you like submit your resume or you apply for a job, then those unique experiences are going to stand out and be something that kind of propels you maybe to the front of the line or to the front of the pool of candidates. Yeah. I mean, Castle, since you and I were in at UGA studying mm-hmm. this type of stuff, you know, currently do you still feel am. like it's <laughs> 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 hey, no shame in that. Um, <laughs> do you feel like it's gotten better that there are more students that we meet at conferences who mm. are already doing this type of work? I know that when we started the Weather Students Initiative, mm-hmm. um, which is Weather and Science Integrated Studies Society um, for the students society. Um, we wanted to kind of highlight this wonderful world to students who may be interested in studying this type of stuff, you know, the social implications of meteorology mm-hmm. and climate change, but a lot of people just didn't know about it. Do you think that's changed? Do you think people now know this is something they can study and they're pursuing it? Or do you think that we're still kind of where we were when we were going through undergrad? It's hard to say, and I think this would be kind of a good question to ask the individuals who authored the report on their thoughts on it. But I think for myself, I think we are running into more people who know about it for sure. I'm not sure the second piece of them pursuing it. I think it almost goes back to kind of an interaction between the first two takeaway points that I just talked about, like investing in like higher leadership opportunities within the weather enterprise and supporting and encouraging students it's almost like a chicken or the egg problem. So like if Mm -hmm. we aren't seeing people getting these leadership opportunities or even having any type of job or postdocs available, it almost shuts off that as a viable path for people to take. Yeah. And so if they don't see like the change happening or kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, they're almost like maybe I shouldn't go that route because it's not as stable. Yeah. I, I, agree with that and i think we both feel like that sometimes too it unfortunately isn't enough just to have a fiery passion for what we study we have to try to see if there are opportunities out there for what we do and a lot of times we ask ourselves like are there opportunities for us you know is there a way that we can craft some kind of position in the future or right. a place where we belong and you know funding is always an issue and i know that is addressed in the report as well mm-hmm. money but is there a place that we can go where we feel that we have a path that we can take or is it something that we're just really passionate about, but then we're going to have to settle and do something else. I think a lot of people, a lot of students have that fair question, you know, because their parents Mm -hmm. send them off to college and they go to college because they want a great career. If you can't really tell anybody, your friends or family where you're going to end up and you're passionate about something that just might not be enough. It's also frustrating to explain your passion to people that you love and they don't understand it or they don't, (laughs) um, they don't connect or they just think you're going to be on TV. Um, it's, it's almost just, it's, it's a weird kind of 
thing, and I feel like I talk to you about this a lot, is it's almost like waking up and going to battle every day and having to fight for what it's you exhausting. love. And, and it, it is exhausting. It's you, you have to have a lot of passion and strive, stamina. Yeah, stamina <laughs> in order to do this. Because like I even asked myself the other day, I was like, do I enjoy this anymore? Like, is this something that brings me happiness? And yeah. once I like looked back on what brings me happiness, I understood that this is what it is. Mm-hmm. When you have good days, it really brings you back to this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. When you see some type of result or something that is, it just goes your way. You're like, yes, this is why I am doing this. So yeah. you have to it keep, is- you have to look out for those moments and like hold them real tight. Yes. And they'll get you through it. Grasp grasp on to every ray of, of hope that you have. <laughs> Not that they're going <laughs> to... This is getting really sad. We're sorry. Take it's a shower and put it truth. in your pocket and save it for a rainy day. Right. Quoting from our lovely princess Mia Thermopolis, Ronaldi, or whatever the heck her name is. <laughs> if no one gets that reference, I'm going to be so embarrassed. I but don't, also, I don't it's not a live audience, it. so... Huh? I don't know if I get the reference. Princess Mia... From oh, Princess oh, oh, Diaries. Oh, Princess Diaries. Okay. Take a shining star and put it in your pocket. Just put it. Yeah, save it for okay. a rainy day. If you don't remember that scene, okay. Anyway, I don't. Um, comic relief. Haha. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's tough, but you gotta have to. You have to fight through it and keep on pushing and and making strides happen. I mean, this report in uh, and of itself huge. is amazing. Huge. You know. Yeah huge huge (laughs) anyway so you mentioned funding and that's another big takeaway from the report is the lack of funding um so we're not getting as much funding for behavioral social and economic economic sciences in the realm of weather and just probably just generally um social sciences are not as frequently funded as more hard sciences are yeah and that's an issue because super big issue we it's hard to explain to even people in our field why, you know, this type of research is so important. Right. A lot of people, we all want funding for our own stuff. We all want funding for our research. And when we look at it, yeah, like primarily for for the history of whatever, for this whole entire industry, funding has gone to physical science. And there have been pockets that have been going to social science. And granted, there are much more physical scientists out there who are doing their thing in our enterprise compared to social scientists but there has to be a shift in funding so that we can help people who are doing physical science research and really implement that research to the people and money is difficult to come by but there needs to be more funding or the research that the physical scientists are doing will never reach its full potential of helping people yeah and a difficult thing with social science funding is like the timeline and uh, kind of the the money that goes into it. So you have to get participants. You have to spend time talking with people or interviewing them or discussing how their views of things. So usually there's like a longer time frame required. There's more in-depth data collection. And so sometimes those things get bypassed or looked over because they could fund some sort of physical science thing that will provide them more quick results and in a shorter amount of time. So speaking of the amount of funding, how do you, do you know the number for how much the National Weather Service invested in social science research yes. and behavioral science projects? I do. So 
the National Weather Service in physical year uh, 2015-2016, they, f- they offered $37 million in research total. Okay. And so 2.9 million of that was for social and behavioral sciences. So that's about a roughly 8% of their okay. entire research budget. And that was, that was fiscal year 2015, 2016? Correct. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And then is there any updated number or number before that year, the um, fiscal year? That is the only number that the report provided. But okay. there is, um, there's kind of a, a large scale number for na- the National Science Foundation. So from like 1989 until present day, le- less than 10% has gone to weather related social and behavioral science work Attempt less so. than 10% for of weather funding total or, or less than 10% of NSF funding less than 10% of weather related NSF funding. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Just speaking off the cuff, I saw on Twitter today, a lot of people were complaining about the fact that their NSF grants and stuff were too focused on, physical science and that Mm. the NSF kept on pushing to have more social science projects within science and meteorology. And then because of that push, physical scientists were unable to acquire and secure funding for their own research. And it seems like that makes sense because the number of social science projects is so low or the amount of Mm. money given Mm -hmm. to those projects is so low. Yeah. So... I guess just some perspective, because I saw people were pretty upset about it and saying, well, you know, physical scientists don't get the money because there's this huge push for social science. And, you know, when I applied for NSF grant, when you applied for NSF grant, I mean, Mm -hmm. they were still pushing for social science. So and that was three, three years ago. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. So even between then and now, like they've updated the number and it's still below 10 percent. So the push, I think, is continually happening and hopefully will improve definitely and i think as it gets more visibility and as we continue to get people that are like championing the cause i think the i think it'll only continue to skyrocket especially as we continue to get people who are interested in actually submitting like social and behavioral science proposals i think it's only gonna get better one interesting thing from the report though that i took away from was this idea of something they call a CRADA. So it's like a cooperative research and development agreement. And so basically what it does is it establishes like a partnership between a government agency and a private sector company. So basically like a NWS Weather Channel or NWS AccuWeather kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they could actually do research together and come up with a result. And so that kind of establishes more of like a public private partnership kind of deal that's something else the report advocated for i think that's a great it's super cool it's a great idea and working with different government agencies you know i hopefully they're taking a page out of the book of different sectors because a lot of people are already doing that type of stuff where they're partnering you know an academic institution might partner with for example a national park Mm-hmm. And so those type of um, opportunities then form what they call research learning centers or RLCs. Mm-hmm. And those centers can do joint research together. Funding can come from both sides to help supplement anything that they might need as opposed to each individual school, each individual center funding their own type of thing. If we can all kind of pull together the money and really focus on things that are really important, then we can make bigger strides than if we all try to fight the battle alone. And I think the collaboration is something that, you know, we always talk about. And I'm glad that the report addressed that. The need for more collaboration because Mm -hmm. money is tight. And if you don't have money, 
If we all have a little bit, maybe we can bring it together and make it worthwhile. With this type of research, you know, social, behavioral, economic sciences, I know we keep saying that, just to reiterate, you know, what all it is, um, what types of knowledge gaps do we have to talk about? What other areas do they suggest that we kind of look into for the future? Yeah, so the report focused on three big areas. And so first, I just want to say that there is so much research to be done in this area of social and behavioral sciences, like so much. So if you have any inclination to do this type of research and you're interested, you should go to this report and we, we can link it to on our website. But yeah. they provide so many like unique research questions and things like that. And I mean, that's why they're producing this report is so that they can inspire others. So feel free to take those questions and make them your own and like search for the answers. Like that's what we're here for. Um, but the big three kind of takeaway research areas that they were kind of focused on, um, one being the weather enterprise system as a whole. So looking at information, weather information, how it progresses throughout the entire weather enterprise. So like going from the National Weather Service to the private sector, um, maybe to an emergency manager and then to the public. So like really getting what some people call end to end, which I learned a lot about in this report, which is basically when the product or weather information is created to when it is acted upon by whatever audience it's, it's, it is intended by. So really getting that whole system focused and understanding how it kind of works and works like a machine. So the second uh, big headline is called risk assessments and responses. Um, so basically this is uh, trying to get individuals to focus more on the emergency management cycle that we see such as preparation, response, recovery, and mitigation. And so the report kind of detailed that this these kind of areas don't get as much research as maybe some others. And so it's important to narrow in on those and see how people revolve through each of those stages and how weather information plays a role in that. Mm -hmm. So the third big category, which is one that's close to my heart, is message design, <laughs> delivery, interpretation, and use. So understanding how we communicate uncertainties, how we should be designing our weather messages, how people are getting them, um, how they're being interpreted, and how they're being used and acted upon. And so this is a huge area that is starting to pull in research from like health communication and science communication to figure out how we as a weather enterprise can maybe better format our messages to be more easily digested and acted upon. Yeah. And all those points are incredibly important to look into. Yes. And I, I'm very optimistic that we're going to have a bunch of great students, postdocs, you know, and researchers in every sector looking into those questions, because that's going to be a great way where we're going to improve how we interface with the public. And exactly. it brings together another important part. So what if we have all this research? How do we share this research with people in our community? How do we share the research with people that use it in the publics or, you know, people in general? And you know, some of the things that they that I saw were things that we know, right? Like going to an academic conference, talking with people, presenting your research, um, public uh, publications, you know, publishing mm -hmm. your research and 
journals yeah. or academic journals or articles and whatnot. And then there are other ways too of even how to collect the data. So there are, you know, surveys that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, will uh, will conduct these surveys and also even the CDC, Center for Disease, Disease Control and Prevention. Why the CDC doesn't have a P on the end, I still don't understand, but <laughs> tangent. Um, but yeah, you know, we're collecting data all the time and we share the information with each other. I Maybe you saw it, I didn't really see it, but sharing this information with the public, I don't think we do a great job of that. We don't. And something I learned in my internship with the National Park Service was working on having a conversation and an open dialogue Mm -hmm. and telling people what is it we're doing and how does it affect you, which, you know, again, we do try to do on the podcast, but it's, it can be difficult sometimes, but I feel like there should be more of an outreach effort to really make it relevant to people. Because if people don't understand it, if it really isn't something they can see or feel or it's not tangible to them they're not going to care people won't care about it and so not only do you need to have communicators who are working on communication issues within the weather enterprise you know we need communicators who are adept at talking to the public developing you know ways that we can discuss these topics whether that's through k-12 education and stem related field um, academia and education projects or you know, other types of outreach. I think that needs to certainly be improved and show people, you know, how does this research affect you and why should you give a freak about it? (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally agree. And it's, it's one of those things where it's sure some research doesn't need to be shared with the public if it's more theoretical and um, doesn't really add much to things. But when you have more of that applied side where perhaps the weather related message that they're now getting on their phone has 280 characters like we discussed earlier, then they may be interested to know why there's this change and what what research actually went into it. And people are more interested than we kind of give them credit for. Yeah. And um, we are constantly becoming a more information seeking society where we have so much information available at our fingertips so we're willing to search for it and look look into it and read about it so exactly and we do have partners that we work with journalists who you know write for the associated press or for other news agencies who can help communicate that information broadcasters locally and on national level help us to get that information out too and also you know we have bloggers we have people who are on social media who are trying to educate the public so those efforts are much appreciated i think we should definitely keep going keep doing that kind of stuff but also actively work to improve it and acknowledge the fact that we do need to do a better job so the other big thing and this was the point where i was like preach 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 i was doing the praise the jesus you know how Hallelujah. they do the the emoji where it's like a clap emoji and then oh you, yeah you say like one word between each clap i was like This is totally me. And (laughs) I'm just so glad that they highlighted this because there are misperceptions and like a limited understanding and even stereotypes of social and behavioral scientists within our weather community. Like we've even witnessed it at conferences where people roll their eyes at prominent figures um, with social scientists when they stand up and make a comment or they try and push someone a little further to think about this idea a little bit more. And I think that's our role as these individuals is to continue to push them and be like, well, have you thought about it from this perspective? Or 
how would a vulnerable population view this? Or there's more than one general public. Like these are questions that we have to push on them. And I think we get kind of a bad rap or there are certain yeah people roll their eyes yeah there are certain things that people are like oh here comes the social scientist like (laughs) we've heard that and it's actually very frustrating i'm not going to name names we're not going to name where we were but we've gone to conferences before where we literally hear people in the audience roll like we can't hear them roll their eyes that would be (laughs) gross but we've heard them make snide comments under their mouths to other people and like oh yeah here she goes again opening her mouth or here he goes again saying what he always says you know like i mean yeah we get it we we all have those moments when we're at a conference and we're tired but we're not asking these questions because we're trying to hear ourselves talk i promise you it is not that it is the fact that we think there are other ways and other you know dimensions to look at a problem or look at a situation and we want everyone to think about these questions these are not questions we're just whipping out left and right just because we feel like it we truly feel like these questions are warranted you know yeah exactly Continue. so one of the so one of the big take or the one of the big points that this uh report kind of conveyed and i've this has happened to me before but um so interdisciplinary insights are lost when just one person is selected to be in quotes the social scientist and tasked to provide answers often oh drawn upon oh just one theory or one set of studies so this has happened to me where they're like oh you're the social scientist come up with a survey that helps answer this question and so it's just frustrating at times to be like labeled that and i just feel like sometimes we're even tasked with more work because there is maybe more there's fewer individuals with more like inclination towards social science yeah so a lot of the work gets put on the backs of these individuals it's kind of like oh you're really special you're like you know this you're you title yourself or label yourself as a social scientist like we need you to do all this stuff yet you know i'm I am a huge communicator. I, I consider myself a social scientist, but my area of expertise is more communication. I couldn't do right. psychology research like you can. And if they're like, oh, man, you're a social scientist. Let's do some psychology work. Let's do some like other kind of work. I'd be like, sorry, but I, I can't do that. And it's stereotyping right. and it's frustrating because, you know, it takes a team effort of social scientists, not just one social scientist to rule them all. Exactly. And so even when we I know we've said this before, but even when you say social science like that in itself can be like 12 different disciplines. So kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. So you can't just say tackle this problem with this theory because you may not know that theory. Exactly. Uh, The second point, which also (laughs) I was like preach um so the potential for effective outcomes is limited when social scientists are asked to advise on how to improve an idea or product that has already been approved for use oh snap yeah so therefore the product is already done and you're like do some social science magic on it and make this better it's like you should have started with the social science it should have been at the beginning before we even put all this money into developing a product that maybe someone doesn't even understand or will ever use that happens a lot unfortunately where something's already like years and years in the making and then they're like all right guys like do your magic put some social science love into it and magically it'll be better no you need to start from the beginning understand that social science work is the foundation for all types of research in our field 
and then work from that and ask those questions because you can't do something and then ask a question and be like, oh, well, the answer is you should have actually not have done any of this stuff. Let's rewind. You can't do that because all the money has been put into it and that presents a huge issue. And then it becomes, okay, do we then continue whatever we're doing and realize that we're not really incorporating social sciences to the best of our ability, Mm -hmm. produce something, put it out there for people and then realize, wow, like we kind of messed it up. It's like, you know, doing your thesis research or whatever and realizing, wow, maybe I should have done that. Sometimes it's okay that you didn't do something, but on a larger scale, it becomes a huge issue. And yeah, that's a huge great point to bring up thank you for for bringing especially when it's uh sometimes these projects are even labeled as behavioral and social science approved even when they only give it to them at the very end and they're like guys i can't do much with this This and they're like oh stamp of approval behavioral and social science approved and it's like no you just ran by ran this by me in an email so it is not yeah. You know that but, cereal? The like cereal kid tested mother approved. Did the yeah. mom was the mom involved in the making of the cereal? I doubt that. Doubtful. <laughs> Did she taste it and say, mm, it's alright. Did she read the label? Maybe. But they put her the mom's stamp on the cereal anyway. I don't know why I thought of that. But I did. Okay, so third point. And this is one that I'm starting to be more hyper focused on because it's getting closer to my future. Um so Workforce development opportunities may be overlooked when graduate student and job positions in meteorological organizations are open to social and behavioral scientists, but the job description may be defined through the lens of what meteorologists think this role should be. So this is kind of uh, a frustrating aspect when you're looking to be or you're looking at contractor positions and they convey like a research scientist, but that in itself could be a social and behavioral science kind of position but nowhere in the description do they say social and behavioral science they just say like research scientists for xxx like research institution within NOAA, and they outline like you'll collect data and analyze problem sets and things like that but they never specifically state social and behavioral scientists even if it is available and open to those people oh interesting that is something yeah. we have to definitely look into more. Right. It's more of a who you know, and you're like, oh, I saw this position, and they're like, oh, yeah, you should totally do it. It's social and behavioral science. And you're like, yeah. what? It doesn't say that anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that can be frustrating. Okay. The last point is um, risks of problem oversimplification are heightened when new communication products or policies are based solely on meteorologists' intuitive beliefs about human behavior rather than more systematically examined professional social science perspectives. So sometimes you see this a little bit more when you're maybe knee deep in a project and you're like, oh, you know what, we should do this. And so this becomes some sort of intuitive nature thing that they think of regarding human behavior, but it's not necessarily tested. Yeah. So an example of that, I guess, would be you're going through a project and someone's like, you know what? I think the color pink should be used to talk about a tornado. I just I feel like pink is a really serious color. Let me test it out. So let's add pink to the color scale, shall we? And then continue on with the research, even though there was no proof of showing that pink would help to communicate a threat of a tornado. Intuitively, it was in that moment. But those type of moments cannot define a research project because you can't just 
throw something in there and say, oh, well, I think this could be it. Let's just throw it in there and see. That is potentially very dangerous and right. is very frustrating for people who understand, like, you know, this stuff takes time and we all understand that time is of the essence. We get it. But you also can't just throw stuff in there and test it and say, okay, like that worked or that didn't work just because you felt like it. You have to really do your digging ahead of time and continue and and really make sure you do a quality effort as opposed to using your human intuition. Intuition is great. Just Mm -hmm. not here. (laughs) I mean, at that point, you should have just been like, you know what, guys? Pink seems like something, a path that we should take. Let's pause right now. And go do some experiments or a survey regarding uh, like threat level and color and yeah. see yeah. how people rank these in such a way and see if pink comes out on top. Yeah. And then at that point, you would have s- some sort of evidence in order to move forward with your, intuit- your intuition. And so, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, this report is awesome. You know, it's, yes, it is. It's a long read. I, I'll admit I didn't read through the whole thing, but. Uh, Castle, you did read through the whole thing, right? I did, and I loved every second, and it was one of those moments where I was like, this is what I love to do, because it's like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I'm loving every minute of this. What a loser. No, I'm kidding. I know, right? (laughs) No, you're not a loser at all. Um, I think it is asking a lot for us to talk about every single aspect of the report. Oh, for sure. But we definitely tried to highlight what we felt was important for you guys to hear. But we're going to upload the link to the report anyway. So if you would like to, feel free to read the entire National Academy of Sciences report. And, I mean, let us know what you think. Let's uh, let's hear from you guys, too. It'd be great to see what you guys feel about what's written in there. Because it's pretty comprehensive. And I hope that, you know, some great action is taken. You know, we, we definitely brought up a lot of things in our conversation, Castle, you and I. And the report brings up a lot of stuff, too, that may make people feel uncomfortable but that's just the reality of it and we need to talk about this kind of stuff we're not being disrespectful we're not trying to be rude or mean but we're very passionate about this kind of work and we want to make sure that we move on in the right direction in the best way possible and make sure we learn from our mistakes because we have made mistakes before in this field but we have to learn from them move on and make sure we're doing the, the best we can and be the most effective that we can too yeah it was very refreshing to have sort of a removed perspective because they had also social and behavioral scientists that are not kind of embedded in the weather enterprise. So it was really nice to see those perspectives. And you can definitely tell that it was kind of a removed kind of understanding where they were not afraid to approach some of these projects and topics that are kind of not necessarily taboo, but are some that people kind of tiptoe around. And so it was great to see those kind of black and black and white and just really starting to stir up a conversation, which was great. And there was also like a whole chapter on communication of weather information involving vehicles and like highway transportation. Um, So we didn't even get to touch that topic. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, you should definitely check out that chapter. So, Castle, we talked a little bit about your life, uh, Halloween, how much you love it so much. Um, Halloween what, Town. Have, have, tell us something interesting about you. Have you tried something new? Tell me something interesting. I will tell, tell you. Tell me something good. I have, I will save one story, probably is not podcast. It's probably something people don't want to hear, but the Ew. other story that I will tell you about. Wait, what? Well, I injured my foot. No, I injured my foot, so I just. Are you okay? It's probably. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I what just haven't do? been able to like. Do you drop something on okay, it? Okay, so in July I had like a tennis accident, so I like stubbed my toe. Doing so, what? How did you do that? It was. It's because my shoes are too small. Oh. And so it like my feet are almost like curled up in the bottom of the shoe boy you need so i need to get shoes. new tennis shoes i know that i need to get new tennis shoes see these are my old print shoes i need some new print shoes but so what happened is and this is where it's going to get gross so we can always cut this out if it's too <laughs> gross but when my toenail kind of like was forced up and like crinkly oh no and so oh, yeah no. and so it was like bruised for a while and so i was like hmm but it didn't hurt, and so I just left it. And so it's been getting, like, weird and, like, f- higher. It's been forced higher up. Oh. And so I finally figured out that I think there was a toenail growing underneath it because yeah, it was dead. And so it, like, snagged on my comforter in the middle of the night on Saturday. And, like, in the middle of the night, I just was, like, snagging. I was like, ugh. And so it basically ripped it off. And so in the morning I had to get up and like finish getting it off. (laughs) So I've been, my toe has been hurt since then because it wasn't a fully new like nail underneath. And so it's still like growing a little bit. Oh, that's painful. Those are things that like, you know, when you, people were like, oh, I broke my toenail or I broke my nail. And we all laugh, especially because it's like always like a blonde girl you see depicted in a movie breaking their nail. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God. And everyone laughs at them. No, that that stuff hurts a lot. So I don't know what people were talking about. And it can be dangerous to like getting diseases and not diseases, but like bacteria and and infections and stuff. And plus you can cut people. Like I had a nail that was like jacked up and I was in martial art class like a few months ago. And I had to get a band-aid weapon. to tape it up because I was accidentally, yeah, I was accidentally using it as a weapon. And then the the uh, sensei, like, accidentally scratched him a bunch. And he didn't say anything, obviously. But I, at halftime or the break time, I was like, can I, get a, <laughs> can I get a band-aid and wrap this up? I don't feel like hurting people. So, you know, it for show happens. Well, that was great. So, Lovely. Yeah. So Give that's a better story. story. The other story <laughs> is I have almost been hit by a deer three times now in like the last two weeks what and it's getting to the yeah it's getting to the point where it's super crazy so the last one happened when i was driving home from uh from home which is calhoun calhoun yeah Yeah. i just said driving home from home um but driving from from calhoun to athens and so i go through the mountains because it's obviously much calmer and prettier and it's fall, so the leaves are changing, which is nice to drive through. Mm-hmm. And so I was on kind of this more flat part of the the trip, and I just see something moving out of the corner of my eye, and I look over, and it's like a deer charging right at my car. And so I laid on the horn to kind of hope it would go a different way. And so what it did was it just turned. So it was like running next to me as I was driving. Oh my. And so it was like a 45 mile an hour like area (laughs) and the deer was keeping up with me. And so finally I laid on the horn again and he like turned and why is it running with you? I don't know. It was so weird. Is this during the day? Yeah. 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 It was like 10 in the morning. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was like super like shook up after that. That's because so weird. I didn't know what to do. Like 
you don't hear about deer running with you. They freaking like, run across the road and you hit them. I know. But... So I was like, it's running next to me. What do I do? You're like a deer and whisperer. So... <laughs> That's so bizarre. Okay, next story. And then the other two happened yesterday when I was driving to Peachtree City. So one one happened like as soon as I was leaving Athens, one like darted across the road in front of me. And then the other was as soon as I was arriving in Peachtree City, one like a huge buck. It had like so many like little points and antler things mm-hmm. just like ran across the road in front of me too. On so a highway? It was, like, it was like a back road. Oh, okay. That's crazy yeah. though. Yeah, it was crazy. So that's like been my life, deer and deer bucks. versus castle. Gosh, yeah. say a little prayer before you go on the road. That's dangerous. I know, but it isn't it's it's that time of year, right? For I don't know. deer. I mean, the only time I, I see deer on the side of the road all the time. The only time I almost hit a deer was actually driving to back to Athens from Asheville. And it was mm-hmm. like mid to late November. So it actually times out perfectly pretty well with what you're saying. Um and yeah, the deer was like in the right lane and it was at night at like eight, nine PM at night. And I had just switched from the right lane to the left lane just because I felt like it. And I'm so glad I did because had I not, I would have totally, um, mm. totally jacked up the car, totaled the car. Um, but yeah, that was pretty frightening. But yeah, God, be careful. Try to stay on the road at, during the day, I guess, if, if you can. Cause it's just so hard because it with the time change, it gets dark at like 530. Curfew. Now, so five. <laughs> <laughs> must be inside by five. Oh my god if, you, if you're out and about at night you're gonna turn into an ogre well i don't leave school until six so it's well then you're an ogre dark. at school yeah. so ogre school <laughs> so those are my two big woo stories <laughs> cool <laughs> deer and toenails that's my life D- that Summed should be part of the uh, podcast title when you come up with deer it. And deer toenails deer from social science and- research and meteorology <laughs> <laughs> toes deers and s b e s there you go (laughs) (laughs) so what about you you traveled back to savannah and you you even you've been doing some cool things there and (laughs) you traveled to asheville yeah i went to asheville for yeah yeah (laughs) so other than that or tell us about that how's it been going yeah uh i went with my mom and dad to Asheville because when i was up in the northeast doing my little road trip to see some of the fall foliage um i was like i was alone traveling by myself and i thought you know my mom and dad really want to see this type of stuff but they haven't really had a chance to do that so i was like okay well let's make it happen once i get home let's go to Asheville and uh make a little fall foliage trip out of it so we drove across north carolina and did some fall foliage stuff and it had rained a bunch on Saturday that we went, and then we ended up going to State Park Saturday morning, and we got to see some cool stuff, Hanging Rock State Park. And then on Sunday when we got to Asheville, um, it was actually the cold front had just passed, and it actually was flurrying. There were snow uh, flurries around, which is really cool. Mm, and the fall foliage cool. was really gorgeous, too. So I'm really glad they got to, got to see that. And, you know... My mom and dad are getting older, so I'm really happy that they're able to, like, make the hike, do it. You know, my mom has a little bit harder time than my dad does, but she made it through, and I was really proud of her. And we we got to go to a great vista and look at some uh, great fall foliage from an, a nice outcropping, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've just been pretty busy back at home working on a few academic stuff, even though I'm not in school anymore. People are like, why are you so busy? There's still things that I have to do, I promise. It's... 
you know, keeps me going. But social science is hard work. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> if you don't have a work ethic, do not get into this. I'm just saying. Um, but a fun thing that I've been doing is I've actually been at a movie extra for a few feature movies being filmed down here. And it's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think this type of world is really fascinating and if you're interested in movies or actors and actresses or kind of understanding what it means to film a movie and you know the behind the scenes kind of stuff being a movie extra really gives you that feel um they pay you practically minimum wage and they pay you a little (laughs) bit more once you get past eight hours so i would say on a day you know i'm working if I get called in, I'm working 12, 13, 14 hours, but I'm getting paid 100 or so bucks after taxes. So that's not terrible, but it's really not about the pay. The pay is just like compensation, you know, to mm-hmm. for your time. But you get to be around some pretty famous people and then you get to see what it's like for the director to scream and shout directions and you get to see a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, so... I, I, they want us to keep it on the down low. So we're not really allowed to talk about certain movies um so i won't name the movies but there's some pretty cool people that i got to interact with um liam hemsworth one of the hemsworth brothers you know him he's kind of a big deal we're not allowed to say anything well we can't say the name of the movie but i can still say like talk about like the people i can't really go in specifics but um (laughs) it just was funny sorry (laughs) i can't really go into specifics but liam hemsworth saw him hung out with him i mean he practically and there was a scene that we're not we were doing because there's we were not doing anything he was doing and i was a background extra for it um and then he had to stand where i was standing so he literally put his hands on my shoulders and was like hey can i can i get there he's like so cool he's like hello mike can i stand there and i was like uh sure and then he is like okay like not you with me here. Like I need you to move so I can stand where you're standing. So he put oh. his hand on my shoulders and like physically moved me. And I was like, <laughs> I'm never washing my clothes again. <laughs> so that That's was so cool though. Yeah, it was cool. Um, I've been on that movie two times. So I've seen him a few times. Um, and you know, he's very focused on his Does job. Does he recognize you? No, I, don't. I mean, he, oh, okay. we make eye contact pretty often. But he's not like, hey, man, how are you today? No, 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 (laughs) no, not that. We're not quite on that level yet. Um, There's another movie that's being filmed with Chad Michael Murray and uh, Minka Kelly, and that's happening. I was in a movie extra on that one for one day, Um, but I did get to talk to Minka Kelly. She was really sweet. I was just standing there about to do my little walk that I'm supposed to do for the scene as a background extra, and then... She just like turns to me because she's in front of me having to walk past me. And she was like, hey, what's your name? I was like, oh, hey, it's Min. She's like, oh, I'm Minka. So great to meet you. Your name's like kind of like mine, huh? I was like, I mean, mine has an H. Exactly. <laughs> totally the same name, honey. We are um, the same person. Yeah. But so she <laughs> she talked to us, talked to me and my friend, and, and we had a great little conversation for about a minute um, before we had to start shooting and rolling. But I was like, that's really cool. You know, like she actually went out of her way and she was like, thank you, everybody, for a great day. Thank you, extras, for helping out. You know, she was very appreciative of the work that we do, because a lot of times people don't think of a background extra as being important. But Mm -hmm. without a background extra, you can't have a movie. And you think about it. Next time you watch a movie. No, ever since you've been doing this, all I do is watch the background. Yes. 
Okay, now people who are listening, when you watch a movie and there's like a dialogue scene between people, pay attention to the people who are walking and laughing or doing whatever in the background because they have to like fake it all. They can't, you can't actually talk. You have to pantomime, which is like use your hands, gesturing and talking and laughing and whatever you do, but you have to do it quietly because the microphones can pick up any noise. So they don't want your audio. They want the audio of the uh, actors and actresses talking to one another. So you know, you have to fake it. And I was watching a scene recently for a TV show and you can see people like hugging each other and like cheering each other with glasses. That's the exact same thing that they tell us to do. Like be a little bit, you know, big with your actions and motions, but you have to do it very quietly. And, you know, it's what they call crosses where they tell you to walk from here to there and cross Mm -hmm. in the background and you'll see people walking and moving you know, these people are all paid extras to be able to do that. It's not just like a natural thing going on in the background. So it's like a, it opens your eyes up to a lot of cool stuff. But the the last movie was probably like the most fun I've had, um, had Hugh Jackman and Sarah Paxton in it. And on one of the days, um, Hugh Jackman actually handed out scratch off tickets to everybody. And he walked around to all the extras. We we're on, you know, shooting a scene. And he was like, Hey, happy Friday. And he gave us all a scratch off ticket. And I was just like, thanks, Hugh. Really, really appreciate it. He's like, yeah, no problem. I was like, oh my God. I talked to him and he gave me <laughs> a lottery ticket. Sign it. I should have, but that would have been a little too overboard. They say you can't like ask for a photo. You can't do anything with these people. Mm. And so you have to respect that because they're, you know, they're trying to focus on their job. But right. he was like really funny and really nice, like asking people hey how's it going laughing and joking and getting into the scene and everything so um he's by far the the best uh actor that we've that i've had to work with um but yeah it's insane i once these movies come out i'll definitely talk about them more but um it's been a great adventure just to kind of take part make a little extra cash but also get to mingle with some cool people and have some fun stories to tell yeah that's super cool oh <sighs> But yeah, other than that, um, just uh, heading to Europe in about a week from now, going to Ooh. Greece and France for a little bit with my family. So I'll be over there. Um, maybe I can record some stuff and send it over to you. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. That's kind of why we'll we're recording now before we, before I go. So luckily right. we'll have something for you guys. But yeah, just going to spend Thanksgiving holiday flying and then get back here like mid-December before Christmas and then come back here for Christmas and spend it with the family with everybody but I'm excited for it It should be fun sounds awesome awesome so so you know with all that lovely talk what is your song of the week Kessel so my song of the week was difficult to choose because there's a lot of great songs there really are there really are um so others that didn't make the cut i'm loving liam payne's bedroom floor oh yeah super good okay the beginning um, of that song it's like it sounds like a computer turning on yeah okay i it, just like the the iphone part where he's like with my iphone, me iPhone, on my iPhone. iPhone ring. yeah i love that part so much <laughs> <laughs> it's so good yeah, yeah i like that is. part too and i was trying to figure out why i love it so much and it's charlie puth because charlie puth wrote it yeah it sounds exactly and, what charlie like, would sing too yeah it does does liam so not write good. his own music do any of the one direction people write their I own music th- well obviously uh what's his face does zane the lead singer no the lead who is the lead zane just zane the lead no of one direction zane is not the lead of one direction yeah zane is not the lead of one direction really 
I think he's like really. Definitely the, it was Harry. The, Harry, it's Harry. Harry is the he's lead the of One Direction. Yes, he's the leader. He is. Yes. Well, he was. It's over in, now. In terms of talent, or in terms of age. <laughs> Oh, in terms of leading the band, like he was the leader. What? What does that even mean? How do you like? You know how every every band has like a leader. They're normally the like the most like the best singer. No, I think it's more of like leadership style and who oh. has like. I never thought of Harry being the everything. leader. I don't even. I didn't follow One Direction very much either. That's probably why I don't know that. But I always thought of Zayn being like the one who no. was like the guy in charge. No, if you watch Vocally, Harry's always the in the middle and. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, because yeah. Fifth Harmony, what's her face? Camilla Cabela is like the leader, and she's the best vocally. Yeah, I mean that just happened to to be Beyonce was the leader of Destiny's Child, and look at her killing it. And Justin Timberlake for Backstreet Boys, right? Yeah. He's so low. Yep. As that's all I can think of. Like when I think of these leaders, I think of the ones who go solo and are successful. The other ones, I mean, all the One Directioners are solo. Wait, isn't there one of them that's not? No, they all are. They all have hits in the top Harry twenty does? right now. He did when his album came out like six months ago. <laughs> wow. But not anymore. Well, who's? I feel like this is not going to last as long. Like somebody's going to have to stop doing well. I wonder who it's going to be. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just saying, man. Let's not-, not wish. Let's not wish this on anyone. We need all the One Directioners. That Do we, we though? Have. Do we? Yeah, we have five times the songs now. Like I'm not hating this. Eh, some of them suck though. Like which ones? Dun, 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 dun. What? What? Oh, slow dance. Slow hands. Is it slow hands? Slow hands. Slow yeah. hands. But it was good dun, until dun, it just dun, dun, got overplayed. Dun, dun. Who sings that one? I, uh, Nile. Ugh. The his new song is really good though. And then his song like Our Town or whatever the heck it was like. Yeah, that was bad. That too. was just, that was just like One Direction repeated, but with only him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, so um, what's that? What's so your actual song? The week? My actual song is "New" by Daya, and it's her new song. <laughs> um, it's super good. So it's basically, if you think about it, it's kind of like a "the grass is greener" kind of narrative. Yeah, where she's like, she like lets go of her boyfriend or dumps her boyfriend, and then goes to someone new, hence the name "new," and then realizes that she actually wants to be with her old boyfriend because she just constantly thinks about him when she's in the bed with her new guy, when she's at the diner with his friends, when she's doing all these different things. So it's basically like a grass is greener tale, but the, I just love the, like the beat and the theme and especially like the, I don't know what it's called. It's not like a coda, but there's like a part where, you know how we like the rhythms. And if you can say a certain part, kind of like look what you made me do look yeah. what you made me do yeah that there's like a part in this song like that and i just love it oh yeah so i can see that yeah, yeah. i like yeah. it when you told me about it i downloaded it i liked it a lot yeah it's so good <laughs> what about you what is your song of the week well you know the spotify pop rising playlist gives us a lot of inspiration totes and so i found the song wait by maroon five yeah it is and good. i like that one a lot i don't i don't I haven't literally listened to the lyrics quite too well yet but i just remember the beginning is like din, 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 like dirty looks from your mother and it goes into it um and then i sing it, it, it it's <laughs> i'm not making you're like me this now. week you're like me this week <laughs> it's like i actually had a point to my song <laughs> i don't have yeah you're me and i'm you <laughs> it's like the 
The only thing that gets me is I like Maroon 5 songs, but at the same time, I almost feel like they are too perfect. Like they're yeah. too they're too like with the trend. They're too catchy. They're too It's, like it's almost like generated. they're a formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's formula like a formula for like their songs. But like I love them, but at the same time I hate them because it seems like I've I totally understand no, like, that. I get that. There's no like personality to them or something they're just like generated for users to download and yeah this one i felt differently about because i'm very cognizant of maroon 5 being like way too like poppy mainstream but like they have something weird and different that we all know it's maroon 5 and adam levine but for some reason this one i like felt very cool it's like i liked it a lot but i i totally get it when you're what you're saying because there's actually a a billboard.com they had a facebook video of the changes and the metamorphosis of Maroon 5 music videos from like the early 2000s until now. And you see their style changing. And we've talked about that plenty of times where bands, well, they'll change to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you do yeah. naturally in the music industry. And Maroon 5 is, they've perfected it, I guess. They've they have really done well. But a lot of times I'm like, Ugh, you know, like I hear that. And it's like, God, oh, that sounds so like it, yeah you're right it sounds so perfect like so crafted yeah as if they know exactly what you know that's what it's pop music well. is so pop music is you know people I know crafting. but for some reason it they stands sound, out more yeah, from them exactly yeah. i don't know what it is it's like a certain quality but i i feel the same way except this song i felt not like that i felt like it was a little bit not imperfect but it wasn't as annoyingly catchy as the other ones were maybe it'll be ca- uh, annoying to me in the future but I like I just like the way it sounds and I jammed to it. I jammed with my mom in the car today. Even it was lovely. Great. Yes. She loved it. Just kidding. I don't know. So so one thing that we should probably talk about is the Taylor Swift C D and if you Do we have to, to though? It, I I don't think we have to. I think we would be remiss if we did not. We would be it's remiss. A huge, it's a huge thing going on right now. I huge. heard it sold like a bunch of copies in what? How many days has it been out? <laughs> it sold a bunch of copies. Hmm. Um, okay. It was Friday. Since when have you become such a big T Swift fan? No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that was a funny way to put it. Like a bunch of copies. Like I don't know either, but I'm sure it's more than a bunch. <laughs> it came out on Friday, I believe. I think it sold because I saw a headline recently, right before we were recording, like several million copies in like three or four days or something. Um, wow, that's crazy. And it was like super successful. I mean, she has a huge following. No one really yeah, expected anything less than that, quite honestly. At least I didn't. And I'm pretty smart. So, you know. Me either. <laughs> you are so smart. She, I mean, everyone's so conflicted about her. I don't know how I feel. I'm like, yes, I like her. Then I don't like her. Well, I think her. you should listen to the CD without any preconceived notions and just tell, let the music speak for itself. Sure, there are a couple songs that I just flat out hate, but... <laughs> That's part of the music experience. Well, somebody somebody brought it up, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. They were saying, you know, in a time where things are so political and crazy, and there's mm-hmm. things that you can do, like you know, Pink, "What About Us." You know, her song was about what about the American Ugh, people and I hate everything. That song. Oh, see, I like it. And when I found out more about it, I heard an NPR interview with her, and she was like, you know, what about the people? You know, like we have so many issues and problems and we all need to come, you know, there was meaning behind it politically too. I appreciated Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, somebody had a critique on Taylor Swift's album and said, in a time where we have so much going on, Mm, you, you literally like, 
couldn't well like she didn't even talk about anything except for herself oh, I see, I see, I see. and so they're saying like wow what a narcissistic white you know girl um <laughs> so i had to refrain myself from what people were saying that's not what i'm saying but but people were like you're so like into yourself like yes like we get it there are things that you mm-hmm. have to deal with but couldn't you like just you know, try to make this album a little bit more relevant to the people and the struggles that we're all facing of the nation and making, mm-hmm. and I, people will also say, I want to get away from all that. And I want to just hear right. music. That was going to be my counter argument. I, and I, I totally understand that. I see things differently. I feel like as a person with, you know, celebrity who has power and, you know, say, I think they should try to enact, you know, positivity and change and speak on these type of issues because, you know, they do have a platform to do it. Not, I mean, it's not saying you have to do it, but it would be nice to hear her say stuff like that because we do hear her talk about feminism sometimes and in some of her mm-hmm. stuff and in interviews. But you know, a lot of times it's not you know the kind of social activism that I think people expect from someone that has such a platform that she does. Like you know, yeah. Beyonce, we see her doing her thing, and she's also making a voice, making her voice heard and sharing the voices of many other people in our country. And I think people expect to hear that maybe from Taylor Swift, too. We heard it a little bit from Katy Perry, even. Um, and other artists, Lady Gaga, will do that, too. Um, and so I think that was a lot of what people were critiquing with her new album, Taylor Swift's. So the thing that I will say to that, which I totally understand that argument, the flip side that I'm thinking is she may not choose to do like political acts in her music, but like outside of it. So I know that there have been instances where she has like quietly donated to like certain charities and organizations. She's done like, uh, what is the like Make-A-Wish Foundation and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So to me, I feel like it's kind of this push and pull with her like if she were to do some sort of like positive movement thing that'd be like oh she's just doing that to balance out her yeah and so i think it's like this weird pr like push and pull like what can i do that won't get me like won't fire up everyone but also will do some good and so i don't know but I agree. I feel like at maybe at least one song could have been devoted to some sort of yeah. positive movement. And I mean, I don't know. I only listened to the whole thing once today. And one of them may be about some sort of positivity that I just don't know about. Mm, gotcha. So, but that's my take. That's how Sue sees it. Who is Sue and how does she see things? What? <laughs> it's on Glee. Glee. Yeah. Cool. Well, we've kept you for quite a while. Assuming that Castle yeah. doesn't edit out a huge chunk, you'll probably be listening nah. to this for quite a while. Um, but, you know, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully maybe you're traveling in a vehicle. I think that's honestly the best time to listen to a podcast. So it is. hopefully we had your your brain thinking a little bit and you enjoyed our weird bantering throughout because that's what we do. But I think it's time to wrap it up. So I think so, too. You can find us in a variety of places, including Facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com you can also find us on twitter at weatherhype both words weather and hype or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com we love reviews so if you feel so inclined to do so feel free to leave us a review and let us know how we're doing we always appreciate any feedback that we can get to improve what we do for you guys if you have an episode idea or some sort of other thing you would like for us to talk about let us know 
send us a tweet or an email and we will figure out if we can incorporate it. Yeah, we've got a lot We're of... always looking for fun things to do. Yeah, and I was going to say we've gotten some cool feedback just from people saying, hey, I listened to your podcast. Thank you so much. And we appreciate that. We've gotten some um, critiques of our podcast saying we wish you talked about this or you definitely framed something in a way that I didn't agree with. And we appreciate every type of feedback. We're actively, you know, trying to solicit your perspectives on what we're talking about. And we just hope to move forward and improve ourselves. So whatever you have to say, we are all ears. Until next time. Until next time. Stay hyped. Stay hyped. So this podcast you guys listen to, we often talk about social science and how it relates to meteorology and climate change. But now there's actually a report that gives us a lot of recommendations in our field to work on and improve how we incorporate this wonderful world of social science, right? <laughs> right? Damn it. Question I mark. Didn't, I didn't, right? I didn't mean to do the verbal cue. <clears throat> I was just thinking about it and I did it. My bad. <laughs> Yes, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can we do that one? Okay.